the Two Are Gathered podcast with Jim Fellows and myself, Father Rob Kroll. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? Well, good, Father. It sounded like you almost forgot who your co-host was. No. How could with, I possibly? Uh, You're the inspiration oh, for all of this. Jim Fellows. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> For he's a jolly Jim fellow. Oh, yeah. So you there probably you never go. heard that before. Nope. First time for everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what's new and exciting? They're not, you know, a lot. No. It's warm. Um, Jen's gardens are blooming. Jen's mother-in-law's gardens are blooming. Uh-huh. Have, nice. Oh, we've got a couple gardens for, uh, for her mom to come over and take care of. Uh-huh. Yeah. And... Uh, that's about it. I started a, uh, a position with one of the people that we promoted, um, um, Partners for Hope. Okay. They've hired me on officially to help with marketing and uh, a donor development. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, I'm kind of excited. That is. That's a new venture. That's cool. We'll, we'll probably have to talk about them sometime in the future again. <laughs> Their <laughs> son you? is coming to our seminary in the fall. So That's true. Yeah. That's very exciting. Julian's coming. Mm-hmm. He's a good kid. Yeah. I don't know him. I look forward to meeting him, though. And We've had some exciting news around here. Just this past Saturday, we had three seminarians from St. Francis de Sales ordained as priests for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. So that was Saturday morning, and then there were various celebrations and masses of Thanksgiving this past weekend. So (laughs) it was a busy but very joyful weekend, and um, yeah, it's always an exciting time when uh, you have diaconate ordinations first, usually in April, and then these priesthood ordinations follow in May. And uh, the guys that were just ordained deacons, we had six of them for Milwaukee. And that means that uh, in a year, there'll be priests. So that's going to be six new priests in one one shot next year. So wow. that's kind of cool, you know. Um, so, that is cool. And, and our seminary is kind of bursting at the seams because uh, we've been about 50 seminarians. And next year, we're anticipating, at this point, uh, 64. And that's uh, actually more than our main building can handle, so we're going to have to house a few of them at an adjacent building, uh, which is a good problem to have. So it's... That is a good problem. Yeah, so there's a lot of excitement around here. Um, Yeah, very good. And you and I are um, doing a podcast the day before that I leave Milwaukee for about a month, and so I know that we uh, will be having some other folks join you in the coming weeks um, in theory in, th- in theory <laughs> we got some people or, hopefully lined up or your they dogs can drop maybe out the dogs at can any do moment <laughs> like, yeah, we should really have jen fellows. do a podcast sometime i mean you talk yeah, about her a lot and she she's she's never she appears that. <laughs> she's she's she may be a, just a a figment of my imagination <laughs> that's funny my online persona married and 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 anyway that's that's even worse yeah no I was um say. Jen does not like me talking about her. She she thinks that I um, say too many nice things about her, which I don't think I say enough nice things yeah, about her. There so there you go. go. That's sweet. That's so sweet. Um, these new priests have been ordained. I got a question. Yeah. So here's a question about um, being a, a brand new priest. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, kind of a hullabaloo about a year ago 
when um, people were, uh, when, uh, maybe it was longer than that, but it was, it was a couple of years ago. And, and uh, um, uh, Pope Francis um, was greeting people and they were trying to uh, kiss his hand and he kept on yanking his hand away and people were getting grumpy about that. Yeah. Um, but I was reading more into it and it's supposed to be appropriate the first time that you meet a priest uh, to kiss his hand mm-hmm. because these are these are uh, these are bringing about the transubstantiation of mm-hmm. our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Is is that uh, you get a lot of people kissing your hand? Do these guys are these guys expecting people to? Does no. anybody kiss their hands? No, or? It, I would say I've seen that happen, and I think it's happened to me once or twice, but it's very rare. And I think it's it was probably a custom or tradition that was more common you know, a long time ago, but I don't know when that kind of dropped out of uh, practice. But uh, no, not really. I know that what often happens with a new priest is um, people will come and ask for his blessing as a new priest. And in mm-hmm. fact, often um, at a, after the Mass of Thanksgiving, that means the first Mass that he's celebrated as a priest, during the time of the reception, uh, the priest usually makes himself available so that family and friends that are gathered there for the celebration can come up and either kneel in front of him on a kneeler or just stand in front of him and, and receive his blessing. So that's very common. But the kissing of the hand custom, I have not uh, really encountered much. Maybe it happens in other parts of the world i'm not sure but at least in the united states that isn't very when, common when you when you greet your bishop do you you don't do that no okay. i well no and and i and as a religious priest like i would um, meet more with my provincial but i think well, sure but no but when we when we see archbishop listecki we don't we don't kiss his hands i've never seen that happen either so okay. no all right yeah well, thanks for clearing that oh, up. Oh, yeah. This has been sure. a great episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. Bye, everybody. <laughs> topic today. So listen, Kissing you, you chose hands. the topic, so I'm going to throw it over to you. What are we going to talk about today, Jim? We are going to talk about um, martyrs and uh, in the past and in the present. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, I, I think uh, many of us kind of are walking around with the idea that martyrs um, were, for the most part, um, back after the time of the resurrection and the, and the infancy of the church, mm-hmm. um, and those are the ones that we, you know, we kind of hear the most about. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe our listeners are like Jim. You ding dong. There's a bunch of martyrs out there. <laughs> but that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and we thought it was an appropriate topic because uh, martyrs, um, as you said, are not just an ancient phenomena. That there are. People, you know, as we speak, that are suffering greatly for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. And while we as Catholics count many, many martyrs among the uh, role of saints, um, there are also martyrs from other Christian uh, traditions. Um, and of course, there have been also martyrs of, of other faiths too. But uh, we Catholics are especially proud of our. Uh, martyrs, and we honor them uh, in various ways that we'll talk about in in the podcast today. Um, you found uh, an interesting statistic, didn't you, about kind of the fact that martyrdom still happens today? Well, yeah, I got this. I actually got this stat from you, um, <laughs> but uh, that there have been more martyrs in the 20th century than all the centuries combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is which is really, um, I mean, you know, wow. I know. 
people well, we don't hear about no, that. No, we don't hear about that. Exactly. And obviously, the 20th century, I mean, the reason why there were so many martyrs in that century alone is because of the fact that there were some very uh, oppressive governments uh, and dictators that killed a lot of Christians. I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, the number of Christians that died in, you know, in China or under, um, you know, somebody like uh, Pol Pot uh, in, in Asia, um, and uh, also they they talk now, just recently, the Armenian genocide, is the word genocide has been used by the United States for that massacre as well. Right. Um, so in Turkey. So, yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, a lot of countries that have had repressive governments that uh, have attacked the church and and Christians. Um, you think about, you know, Russia, of course, too. Uh, how many Christians died uh, in the gulags and just under um, under communism. Yeah, communism. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, that would have been a huge source of martyrdom. In uh, Turkey. Getting back to Turkey. Yeah. At one point, uh, the population of Turkey was thirty um, percent Christian. Yeah. Which I would, I didn't I didn't know that either. I mean, I always thought it was a very small Christian population. Yeah, well, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a but lot it, less now. It is now. Yeah. And they didn't just move. No. They were they were you know eliminated. Right. Right. Yep. But I, I think that one of the things that I like about this topic, I mean, I love the fact when we di- do a deep dive into all things Catholic, but it's it's kind of, it's nice when we get into a topic that um, really pertains to all Christians, and I really think that this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are, there, are, there are Catholic martyrs, and we celebrate these Catholic martyrs, and there are Christian martyrs that maybe we don't know about as well, but they're still martyrs for Jesus. Right. And I'm guessing that uh, when they get to heaven, there's not like a, a Protestant martyr section and a <laughs> Catholic martyr section. I'm sh- pretty sure it's just martyrs. I, I would think so, right? I don't think those differences uh, are going to be that meaningful when we get to, uh, no, to heaven. No, I think if you die for Christ, you die for Christ. Right. And I think that's, uh, you know, so, so this is, you know, we've got a couple of Protestant listeners. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they'll keep on listening. <laughs> And, you know, actually, even as you just were describing, um, you know, the fact that people die for Christ, you were, you were mentioning a really important uh, criteria for martyrdom, right? I mean, people may kind of see this as obvious, but, um, you know, not everybody who we call a martyr is necessarily technically a martyr according to the kind of the Catholic Church's understanding. So obviously it has to be somebody who, who actually dies, right? So there are people who are tortured. Uh, even brutally for the faith, but they right. are then, you know, released from prison or somehow they escape that that horrendous torture. So, I mean, a martyr is not just somebody who's been persecuted or tortured, but somebody who actually has to die as a result of that um, attack or that, that persecution. So that's one of the criteria. And then as you were saying, it, it's got to be somebody that dies, you know, for Christ or for the Christian or the Catholic faith. So they're... they're their death actually is because of their um, faith in, in Christ and, the, and their uh, belonging to the church. Now that, you know, that gets a little bit gray sometimes uh, as to whether a person is actually killed for that reason or not. Um, so that's why there's kind of a, a process and there's an investigation that can happen. Um, and uh, anyway, so that just to kind of we kind of clarify exactly what we mean by a, a martyr. And the last thing would be that the person kind of willingly 
goes to their death, so they're they're not. Um, yeah, I guess they're they basically accept their death for Christ or for the church, willingly, voluntarily, and and uh, and we wouldn't want to see that person as they're dying, you know, curse their enemies or you know, speak right. speak out how much they hate these people. I mean, so there should be also an element of love for one's enemies, the way Jesus taught, and and and, and as we think about some of the famous martyrs in our tradition and how they died, you know, many of them did go to their deaths um, with a smile on their lips. I mean, they were actually happy to die for Christ, and they often were praying for their persecutors even as they were being tortured and killed. So that's kind of the attitude that we want to, you know, highlight with somebody that is a martyr. So. Right. And, um, but we, but you, you showed me a list, uh, like an official, um, this is what you got to do to be a martyr list. Yeah. And, and do we cover those, or? I think, well, those are, I think, like, most of the lists that I've seen talk about kind of those three conditions that they have to actually die, that they die because of their, you know, faith in Christ, and that they um, accept that death voluntarily. So they're not like kicking or dragged kicking and screaming to their death uh, because they're a Christian, but they actually like embrace it uh, voluntarily. And, and if they're offered a choice, you know, would you step like there's a famous movie based on a novel by a, a Japanese uh, author named Endo, and um, in this novel and in the movie, you know, the, the Christians in, in Japan are told, if you just step on an image of Christ, you just put your foot on it, uh, we'll, we'll let you off the hook, you know, and, and of course, you can imagine the pressure people must have been under. All they need to do is just put their foot on an image of Christ, signifying that they're trampling on their faith or that they're disrespecting Christ, and, and they would live. And, uh, you know, in my weakness, who knows, I might, I might succumb to that temptation. But, um, you know, the martyr I got is, faith in you, Father. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you. I think, you'd be, I think you'd be a champ. Well, I hope so. I hope so. But, but that's, why we, that's why these people are the great, you know, heroes and heroines of our tradition is because they, they faced, you know, often brutal torture and then, and then death, but they did so, you know, willingly. They didn't, they maybe, I'm sure they might have felt some fear internally, but it didn't prevent them from uh, saying, no, I'm not going to renounce my faith or I'm not going to step on that image of Christ. I'm going to die, you know, as a martyr. And so, I, yeah, you know, and of course we, we kind of would expect that God would give them a special grace in that moment, a special grace of, of courage and love in order to um, embrace. Especially that, for the uh, really painful ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the tortures that people Dude, have devised. It gets really pretty, nasty. Pretty nasty. Right. But uh, going back to um, the martyrs uh, thanking their um, their accusers, um, and uh, the first martyr that's been credited, St. Stephen, mm-hmm. um, was, was praying profusely f- uh, for the people who were killing him as they were killing him. Yeah. Um, there was one that I read, and I've, now I've forgotten the name, um, and that uh, it was in, in the early, early church. And he was, uh, he was a bishop in the early church, and he um, had his uh, congregants, his, 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 the priests that were there, uh, watching him being uh, accused. And, and he had them pay 25 gold coins to his accuser. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then thanked thanked uh, thanked him mm-hmm. for um, you know for for executing him basically for right? executing yeah. him. No, it is. I mean, there's countless stories <laughs> like that. You you were asking earlier about that custom of kissing a priest's hands, and I can think of a number of martyrs that, as they were you know getting up to the scaffold or having their head on a block to be chopped off, they would actually. Um, 
embrace the hands of the executioner, you know, and, and thank them and, and tell them that, you know, they were praying for them. And yeah, I mean, it's an incredible witness there too. I mean, not just to go to your death, but to do so with joy and praying for the people that are killing you. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing. So, uh, it's very inspiring and thank God we've preserved a lot of these stories, you know, including of martyrs from many, many centuries ago. Um, you know, there was a whole oral tradition that would have related their stories and then eventually they were written down. But, but we have, you know, as we were talking about earlier, we've, we have some modern day martyrs, people that have died, um, heroically in the recent past. And, and so we're much able, you know, we just have a lot more data about their situation than we might about some of these, um, early church figures. What was the, what was the quote you were saying about the, the early, early church martyrs? Oh yeah. So kind of a famous quote that comes from one of the church fathers, Tertullian, who's not a martyr himself, but he said that the, uh, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, you know. So just that image of as as the blood of a martyr is is you know kind of flowing, it uh, it then produces um, the church. You know, the church kind of kind of like is nourished by the blood of the martyrs and grows strong as a result. So it's kind of a neat a neat image. Um, well, I mean, putting that in practical terms, I think um, the growth comes from everyone around who's sitting on the fence and then they they see these guys um willing to die for it Mm -hmm. yeah and then that's that's what pushes them over and says okay um let me take a look at this Mm -hmm. yeah this is uh this might be something i need to have in my life if they're willing to die for it right yeah no that's why it is such a great um witness and so inspiring is because there's no greater cost you know that's that's the reason why we as Christians believe that that the martyrdom is really the, you know, the highest form of death or the the best way that we can die. And and I know that sounds maybe a bit strange because we wouldn't normally think we'd want to die as a martyr. But um, yeah, what better way to witness to Christ than to shed your own blood and in imitation of Him? And um, and I think you know it's very you know even if you don't say anything, just just the fact that you're your actions speak louder than words in that case. And, um, yeah, so I think it is, it is a really inspiring thing and, and something that we today, you know, as we look around, and especially in the West, we see kind of the lukewarmness of a lot of people of faith. Um, you know, I think that we need the example of these martyrs to kind of uh, get us to be a little more zealous and and a little more on fire for the faith. Right. And, and it does put everything in... It kind of relativizes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it puts everything in in a different light, a different context, you know, that nothing is more important, really, in our life than our faith. And and we should, you know, it's kind of the supreme thing that we should be willing to die for. Um, I can remember um, there's a famous uh, martyr, St. Thomas More, that a lot of our listeners have probably heard of, and he was a martyr of the English Reformation and uh, Queen Elizabeth, and he, uh, he was very high up in her, in the kingdom, and, uh, and, or King Henry, yeah, King Henry VIII, and, um, you know, he was uh, begged by his family, uh, Margaret, his daughter, and, and others to, you know, not go to this death, and, and he, you know, he understood their pain. I mean, who wants to see their husband or their father be killed as a martyr for the faith? But he knew that this was what he had to do, and, and um, you know, he said, when upon his death, I die uh, the king's good servant 
but God's first. And um, mm-hmm. so again, nothing, no, no career, no political power, uh, not even our loved ones uh, need, you know, no one should really be higher than Jesus Christ in our life. And, and so some people pay the ultimate price for it. Well, and the, but the caveat also is that in several of the, the things that I've read um, from the, I don't know if it's necessarily the catechism or just um, church scholars, that one should not like aggressively seek out martyrdom. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, the, that the, the gift of life is sacred and it's precious and we, we, we need to preserve it. And they would warn people, um, there was there was uh, some uh, people would get warned uh, who are in a very oppressive culture. It's like don't go out and act, act actively go up mm-hmm. to one of your oppressors and say I'm I'm a Catholic and do with me what you will. Mm-hmm. That it was more important that they try to stay alive and that this is a this is a last um, resort. Right. That martyrdom is uh, if you got no other way out. And your only choices are um, give up your faith or give up your life. Then you give up your life, but um, that you shouldn't go out and seek that intentionally. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a good point, right? That we we you know we can welcome martyrdom as a great gift, a great opportunity to witness, but we shouldn't be foolish about it, and um, you know we shouldn't have, I guess, what we might call like a suicide or death wish or something like that. And in fact, right. the church is very clear that yeah, we can't take our own lives. You know, that's never right. And so, yeah, so you're right. We don't want to be um, kind of uh, so zealous that we um, act foolishly, but but I think at the same time, you know. We do have to be willing to kind of suffer the consequences of our faith, and exactly. And you know, as we're talking, we're, the the podcast is kind of focusing on what what we call red martyrdom, meaning the shedding of our blood for right. for the faith. But you know, are it, there other types of martyrdom? Well, <laughs> there's another color that I'm thinking of. Actually, Pope Benedict uh, Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth. I remember this is where I first came across this term in one of his homilies. But he talked about the importance of a white martyrdom, meaning actually, if you look at the word martyr in its etymology, it means witness. And so, while yeah, red martyrdom, shedding your blood, is the highest witness we can give to Christ. You know, every baptized Christian is called to witness to Christ, and so in a sense, we're all called to be martyrs. If it means this um, this constant and faithful witness that accepts um, other forms of persecution that may fall short of actual martyrdom, so you know, any time that we're kind of ridiculed or mocked, perhaps misunderstood for our faith, there's many Christians around the world that are not martyrs, but they are jailed or they pay fines or right. there are certain uh, jobs like in communist countries. You know, often devout Christians can't. They're not allowed to have certain offices in society or, or have certain uh, positions within the government. So there's a lot of suffering that can go on. And, and, and even just those of us in the West, you know, a country like the United States, where we have religious freedom and generally we're not, we don't think of ourselves as martyrs, but we know that it's getting increasingly difficult to witness to our faith, including some of the real tough teachings of our faith, without... Um, you know, incurring other people's uh, scorn, or at the very least, their misunderstanding. So there, there is a form of white martyrdom that I think is helpful for people to think about. And um, 
something that everybody can participate. Yeah, everybody, yeah, right. everybody can participate in that, and, and really, we need to. I mean, and more and more. I don't know if it counts, to. but I know that there are jobs that I haven't received spe- specifically because I was Catholic and oh, because really? I yeah. was a strong believer in my uh-huh. faith. Uh-huh. There's there's a couple of jobs that were just like, yeah, we, we're going to pass on you, fellows. Wow. Okay. Right. And normally that's done because you know they're, they're, they recognize um, <laughs> my lack of ability, but there was a couple <laughs> that a couple was pretty clear. Just we were Catholic, like, huh? Yeah, I'm I'm really qualified for this job, and thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna go ahead. Well, right here. Right. So, so you've you've tasted it a little bit firsthand. So. Well, I mean, I've never considered that to be in the martyr category, but if you tell me it is, then you know. Well, now I. I know that we, you know, some of us like have a martyr complex. We're not talking about that either. We're not talking about always going around. Are you suggesting I have a martyr no, complex? No, not you. I'm talking about other people out there in the world. But, this took um, a dark turn. <laughs> but uh, no, I think I think it's good to, to highlight. Again, I don't want to equate, you know, white martyrdom with, with the ultimate sacrifice of our life. That's obviously right. a whole different level and special category. But right. um, but yeah, I think it's okay to remind our listeners that, that any form of suffering for Christ is of course. a sense of, you know, it can be say by analogy, a type of martyrdom. So is a is a balm uh, to our Lord. Right. As you the, think about uh, are there certain martyrs that you you know you already mentioned uh, some from the early church, you've mentioned like Stephen in the Bible. And of course the apostles, except for the beloved disciple John, they you know, our tradition tells us they all died as martyrs. Um, are there other men or women that you think of when you think of martyrs that kind of stand out as special or inspiring to you? No, not really. Not at all. Okay. Well, that's it. <laughs> all right, folks. See you next no, week. That's not true. <laughs> No, the um, when I was living in Guatemala, um, I uh, I was in a town called San Lucas, which was on on Lake Atitlan. Mm-hmm. And the area of Atitlan had about nine uh, villages in it. And we we took one day and we traveled to Santiago, where um, it's a really interesting history in Santiago. There was a, a priest. Um, uh, Father Stanley Rother, mm-hmm. who um, was it was there for years, um, and 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 was the pastor for the village, and it was he's got a really I mean, and he was um, um, he had a, a radio station um, that he had created that was um, sending out. Um, Bible lessons every week, and 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 so that people could hear them and on their radios, and it was being broadcast in Spanish and in um, the the town's language, Zutzuil, which um, every town with the indigenous population would mm-hmm. have their own indigenous language. Um, and in in San Lucas, it was Cachiquel, and, and it was Zutzuil, and uh, um, in Santiago. And then one week, um, th- he was he was getting more and more pressure from uh, the army and from the death squads, and people were telling him that he was on the death squad list, and mm-hmm. he was he was like, "I'm not going to go." And they came and they killed, um, they destroyed the radio station, and they killed his catechists. Yeah. And then um, a week or so later, um, people came into the rectory and and killed uh, mm-hmm. uh, Father Rother. Yeah. Now, um, and he ref- he was he absolutely refused to leave. He was like, "I'm not. I'm the leader here. I'm not going to abandon my flock. Right. And uh, if I need to die to do that, then I, I'm going to die and do that." Mm-hmm. And I I had um, the opportunity 
to go and 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 go to the church and go to the rectory and stand where he was. You can still see the blood stains. Well, wow. um, uh, from uh, from Father Father Arthur, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting the 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 waves. They always talk about you can tell um, martyrdom by the the impact um, after the fact, mm-hmm. and um, the town became increasingly uh, agitant against uh, the army, which was the is the most powerful force in Guatemala. And they kept on uh, pushing the army out and saying, you can't be a part of it. And well, in 1991, he died in 81, yep. uh, I think. And then 1991, um, the, the townspeople barricaded the army from coming in. Oh, and yeah. there was a huge massacre. Like, all the townspeople came out to stop the army from coming in. Mm-hmm. The army opened fire on the crowd that were all, you know, they weren't armed. Mm-hmm. They were just standing there. Jeez. And the front row of people dropped when the shots were fired. Mm-hmm. And, so, and all the people behind them, which was mostly children who didn't think about dropping because right. they didn't know, right. were killed. Wow. And and the result, the end result after all of this was that Santiago became the only city in Guatemala that was self-governed. Mm. Wow! And you gotta think, uh, you gotta think that um, uh, Father Stanley's example gave strength to those people because they they absolutely loved him in that town they still do to this day they right. they 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 took his they they requested his heart be removed from his body and his body i think was buried in oklahoma and his heart, heart. is buried um within the church yeah and they they keep it there and and you know he, he's he, you walk through that town and the reverence towards uh father stanley is is absolutely uh, profound right but i but you gotta think that that kind of example led to the people standing up to the horribly oppressive army and then bl- and then successfully becoming a self-governing town where they shut the gates mm-hmm. and nobody comes in or out army or otherwise when at, at night they just shut things down wow it's really impressive oh, yeah i didn't know that i i haven't been to guatemala but i know that one of my uh, one of my good friends is a woman religious who lives uh, and works under the bishop, the archbishop in Oklahoma City, and I went there at her invitation to give a retreat once, and so um, I know that she was at the beatification, and I had a chance to go to the church in Oklahoma City where he was, you know, baptized, and just I kind of learned more about his his history there. But um, a similar story that is really inspiring to me as a Jesuit is. Not well, can after. we finish up on, on oh, Father Stanley? Because yeah, yeah. there's a couple other things that I just want to yeah, bring please, up. Yeah. No, no I, I mean, I, I, I've learned more about him just more, mostly because of this friend of mine and having visited Oklahoma City. But you, yeah, go ahead, because you know more about him than well, I do. Well, I, I mean, obviously I've never met uh, Father Stanley, um, but standing where he stood was, was, was you yeah. know, quite the moment. Must be. But, and he said uh, the blood later, still there. They still, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, I don't think anybody wanted to clean them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know that makes sense. The right. blood of the martyrs. Right. Um, but later, um, I heard a homily from somebody who was you know really good friends with uh, with Father out mm. there, and he was like he was like listen he goes this is 
<laughs> you guys need to know this. Father Rother was originally a farmer. He had a high school education. Mm-hmm. He wasn't particularly bright. In fact, the first seminary that he uh, went to, um, they told him, you know what? We don't think this is going to work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And you need to think about going back to farming or doing something. He wasn't, uh, the according to this priest, he wasn't particularly eloquent. Mm. Um and, and and didn't really you know do a lot to inspire and just he wasn't you know whatever yeah he got into the second seminary and got out and and was able to graduate and then um, then almost very soon requested to go to uh, somewhere and then he ended up going to Santiago Guatemala mm-hmm. um, but my point being is that you know the the you don't need a lot of qualifications to be a martyr. Right. You, you don't have to be super smart. You don't have to be super charming. You don't have to be um, mm-hmm. really persuasive with people. You mm-hmm. don't have to be, but you got to love Jesus. Right. That's and a that's good it. Point. Yeah. So, right. you know, we can all, there's a lot of things I can't qualify for. <laughs> Likewise, me told, too. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna hold any high rank in mm-hmm. anything, and mm-hmm. with regards to Catholicism or theology, um, but I am, uh, I can be qualified to be a martyr if I have the courage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, it's sort of an equal opportunity employer, we might say, right? I mean, just uh, you don't have to have, yeah, you don't a special charisms or be uh you know well regarded i mean like you said father stanley was a pretty ordinary guy in a lot of ways and but he was he loved jesus as you said and he and he, and he wanted to stay faithful to his people you know so there's a fidelity there that allowed him to uh kind of you know give that supreme act of witness so yeah. that should be encouraging to all of us who are pretty ordinary people you know that that it, it's possible, uh, and, and obviously God's grace has to be at work. But um, yeah, we don't have to have some extraordinary uh, abilities in order to be a martyr. So, um, who are you going to talk about? Yeah, I was going to talk about there, there's a, a sort of a parallel situation that happened in El Salvador. Um, so Stanley Rother died, I think, in 1981, right? So just mm-hmm. eight, eight years later, in 1989, there was a group of Jesuit priests, but also. A, uh, a housekeeper for them and her 15-year-old daughter. So again, ordinary Salvadorans. Um, mm-hmm. The priests, many of them were, were from Spain originally, but uh, had been ministering to the people in El Salvador. And like Guatemala, it was a time of great civil strife and you know, a very militaristic uh, government. And so um, basically in November of 89, a group of uh, armed soldiers came in and just just kind of slaughtered these priests and you know they were shot um at close range and left in the courtyard of the uh, i think there might have been a a few of them in the inside the house but a number of them were left uh, outside where they were shot and um and so they've you know they've kind of as a group become known as the el el salvadorian martyrs and uh and at least you know among us jesuits they're kind of highly revered but um isn't there a movie about this um, 
I don't think there's been one about these particular. I, I, you might be thinking of another uh, one, Oscar Romero. There was a movie called Romero based on his life. Uh, he was also assassinated in El Salvador when he was archbishop. And, and there was a Jesuit named Father Rutillo Grande who was murdered along with him around the same time. So... Um, that must be what I'm thinking. Yeah, that might have been it because I don't think I've, I haven't, at least I haven't seen any movie about these this group of, of uh, Jesuits and their and these two women. But but um, it did lead to you know just highlighted like the call for justice in these countries and um, and there, and then every year now there's kind of a large protest uh, in the United States that takes place. It's it, they call it the Ignatian Teach-in. So it's it's now at this point less of a protest against El Salvador and the regime there, and it's more of a um, kind of an educational opportunity for people to learn more about certain social justice issues. But anyway, again, these are, you know, these are people within our lifetime, and um, and so I think it, it's good to be able to just become familiar with the lives of some of these people, and in, in Stanley Rother's case, somebody from our own shores. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I, I, the thing about, and, and this is kind of interesting, I think, that um, if you get into, you ever get into discussions with atheists? Yeah, once in a while. Do you, do you, do you debate uh, uh, the, you know, like, um, the existence of God with um, them, or do you just talk sports? <laughs> well, it depends on the person. Some of them are actually, even though they're atheists, they do uh, want to know more about why I believe what I believe, so we can have some... You know, kind of a respectful so dialogue. So, yeah, yeah, no, they're pretty nice. good. That's Why? Good. What's your What's your experience? Well, I mean, I've and maybe it's because I'm you know a bigger jerk than you are, but I've been in some <laughs> conversations with atheists that, mm-hmm. that went um, that were that started out out nice, <laughs> but then I would mention the fact I said the, the one thing that you cannot argue is that I know of. Um, and I can name people who have died for my faith, and mm-hmm. hopefully I'll be one of those people. And there's not a soul on the planet that would <laughs> die for atheism. No, that's true. If somebody put a gun to an atheist's head and said, I want you to renounce atheism, they'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and that usually gets them really mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. there's the conversation usually <laughs> ends then. <laughs> and I'm not sure why. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's... You don't think a, there, are, there wouldn't be any, any martyrs for atheism, huh, I guess? Well, what, what, would they, what would they do then if they had a gun to their head? Would they... They wouldn't. They couldn't say, "Oh, I do believe in God now," would they? I'd, an atheist would tell you anything you wanted to hear, yeah. because this is their only existence, yeah. and they yeah. want to keep it. Yeah, I suppose they're yeah. not going to die on principle. Yeah. There's there is no atheistic no. principle that somebody's going to die for. Right. But there yeah. are there are atheists that would have, let's say, other causes that they might, you know, maybe a social sure, justice sure, sure. cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't do it in the I'm name not, of God, but they might. They might believe I'm not in. They're bad they people. For. Right. 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 But they wouldn't see, like, the cause of atheism as something that they would be willing to, yeah. you know, to lose their life over. Yeah. There's no there's no great atheist martyrs out there mm-hmm. that have died for their lack of faith. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And and, and the, key, the key thing about that is, is that um, when people die for the faith, many more people pick up the faith because of that. Mm-hmm. A, lot of them, a lot of them can be atheists at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, what more shall we say about martyrdom that we haven't said? 
Well, I mean, you know, again, just the fact that martyrdom can tie a lot of groups together and can be very unifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the the people talk about, um, you know, the, the deaths caused by um, the what, what's the Catholic thing that they always say is like it's like oh this caused so many deaths. Wait, sorry, I'm not sure I'm following. What's <laughs> yeah, I'm missing the phrase, um, the the Inquisition. That's oh. what I'm looking oh, for. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Inquisition is such a horrible blight on the church. And yada yada. I'm not arguing in favor of the Inquisition by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But um, it's 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 recorded and it's it's statistically clear. That um, communism, I mean, people say that the Christians, people die for their faith all the time. That people kill for Christianity or for Islam or for, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But more people have died for communism. Yeah. Because of communism. Yeah. A hundred million people conservatively mm-hmm. have been killed in the name of communism yeah. than, than any religious war, you know, or all the religious wars put together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, well, that's, that's, it, you know, and obviously, I mean, communism is an atheistic uh, yeah. philosophy, and it's so godless. Once right, once you take God out of the picture, I mean, all kinds of evils can happen, you know, and we've seen that throughout human history, and more recently, like we were talking about some of these twentieth century situations. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's not. It's, it shouldn't surprise us that once you sideline God from your society, that there's going to be uh, some pretty awful things that result. So, so I guess the final question that I would pose to you is: Do you think that um, the the potential of martyrdom is is increasing uh, in our future or not? Um, I would probably say yes to that um now i don't have a crystal ball and i don't know how bad it's going to get but i think just given kind of recent trends that we're seeing uh i think it is going to be a lot harder to be a devout christian and maybe especially catholic because of some of our strong stances um yeah you know and i well i think about we might have used this in a previous podcast i don't know but i remember uh Cardinal. God forbid we repeat ourselves. I know, never, never. Um, <laughs> there's a little pun right there. Um, but uh, Cardinal George, who is now deceased but was Archbishop of Chicago, you know, he famously said once that uh, you know he would die in his bed and his successor would die in prison, and then his successor would die a martyr. Um, and so I think you know he kind of realized that uh, even though. We are a Judeo-Christian society, at least in our origins, um, that increasingly we are, um, yeah, we're just becoming more secularized. And so I think, I think, it, I know, again, I don't want to say that Christians are going to be rounded up and, and persecuted and killed in the United States, but certainly we're going to be more and more, I think, just marginalized and, and uh, considered, um, yeah, in some ways a real threat to the values, the dominant values. So, again, whether that brings actual martyrdom, I don't know. I would hope that we wouldn't, um, but well, who knows? If you want my two cents, you probably yeah. don't. And I, of course I do. <laughs> I'll, I'll even give you five cents. Tell nice. me your five cents worth. All right. Get a gumball. Um, 
that I reflect back to our our episode on Christendom versus the apostolic um, vision. Uh And, And if we are in an apostolic age, which the book says and we both agree on, um, then, yeah, I think that there's going to be more cause for martyrdom than not. If we're in Christendom, then no, I wouldn't be that worried about um, people having to stand up and, and risk their life for their mm-hmm. faith. But I think that in our current culture, in our current society, in our cancel culture, where everything gets canceled yeah. because people just don't agree with it, I think that the train is rolling down the tracks. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, I think that the the and, and not to get we try not to get political here, but um, I think that the police have been under siege um, by this cancel culture, mm-hmm. and I think the train is rolling over them right now. And yeah. I think that Catholics and and Christians uh, to a certain extent are on that same track, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's gonna it's gonna come right down in the the headlights right in our face. Yeah, yeah, no, I I would uh, I think it's more a matter of you know degree or to what extent but i agree with you i think we're we're in an increasingly dire situation and i don't really see it getting better anytime soon in fact i think it will get more and more difficult um so yeah but you know given given the way we esteem martyrdom in our tradition um you know we shouldn't really ultimately if we do have faith in jesus and love him we shouldn't fear the prospect of martyrdom, even if it's um, going to involve some some pain, difficulty. But I was talking with a friend of mine just on that. Now I want to make sure to get this um, mm-hmm. point across. Yeah, and and she was like, she was like, I I don't understand why people are afraid of, of suffering up to death. She was as as soon as I die, it's it's gone in the yeah. blink of an eye, and I'll, I'll never have to think about it again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's a really good attitude, but I can see a lot of people being scared yeah. of having to deal with deal with the suffering and the pain, sure. especially you know because they've done some horrible things uh, to martyrs. Right, right. But uh, she ain't wrong, yep. and you know, martyrs. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, martyrdom um, is uh, do not pass go, go straight to heaven. You mm-hmm. don't need to stop in purgatory. You are uh, taken care of, right? That's my understanding as well. That it's oh, there uh, you go. Yep, yep, yep. No, that's I mean, given that it's the supreme way to witness that, yeah, any sins that we've committed would be uh, pretty well uh, blown away, right? Right. Destroyed, uh, remitted. Yeah. So I agree. I agree. Well, good. Well, if there's no other thought from your end. We nope. could, well, there probably is, but we can go on and on and on. Yeah, we could. We could. We're pretty good at babbling on, but uh, we've done a good job here. We've filled up a good podcast. We wanted Great. to highlight uh, uh, things that we like again today. Go for it. And yeah, we were we were discussing before the podcast. We thought we wanted to um, kind of uh, highlight a, a wonderful Catholic organization called Cross Catholic Outreach, and. Um, it's basically an organization that uh, provides much-needed uh, help of various kinds, uh, different programs that they operate, providing like food and water, housing, education, micro-enterprise. That's kind of a new term for me, but uh, helping people in poorer countries to, you know, kind of take 
take ownership of their local economy and being able to, to kind of care for themselves. They provide what also... They, what they do, Father, is um, they provide um, loans okay. to start up businesses. Uh-huh. And then when the businesses become successful, right. they don't pay it back okay. to a Catholic, a cross-Catholic outreach. Okay. They, they pay it forward to cool. um, another entrepreneur... Um, to develop their business, so there might be a collective bank in th- that particular okay. um, community. But that's that's what that's, that's, all, that's, about. What that's all about. Okay. It's very empowering. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and then they do you know disaster relief, medical care. So there's just there's a whole like uh, array of ways in which they try to help. And the, you know we were looking at some of the statistics on their website before the podcast, and they list 33 different countries that they're involved in almost 300 projects that they're supporting, uh, giving $316 million in total aid. And uh, one of the things I found pretty cool about their website, too, is they have this link you can click on called God in Our Office, and they talk about how every day at work um, they pray together, they study the Bible together, and they read you know, Christian authors together. Mm-hmm. Um, on Tuesdays, they lift up uh, in prayer, intercessory prayer, all of their supporters and friends. So it's obviously uh, a group that loves Jesus and uh, very much is a community of faith, and that's what motivates all of this charitable work that they're about. So anyway, we just thought we'd highlight them because they do wonderful work, and we know that you know you don't have to be a person of faith to obviously care for the poor and do good things for people. But it's always nice when an organization's, um, you know, work on behalf of justice and charitable outreach is is really rooted in the gospel and in their uh, love for, for Jesus Christ. So it's called right. Cross Catholic Outreach, uh, and you can access them at crosscatholic.org. So it might be a good, right. good thing to, to, to give to. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. If you guys have a suggestion on what we should be on stuff that we like, yeah, um, please tell we'll us. We'll take it. Right. Uh, mail at toourgathered.com, which has been rather quiet lately. Hmm. Um, that would be uh, that would be awesome. And for our newer listeners, um, reach out to us mm-hmm. about anything. If you got uh, if you got that, or, yeah. or there's a if topic. you have something that needs to be a new topic, yeah. if you have a question, um, we got. Uh, um, somebody was asking about us if we would talk about St. Gertrude one day, and I was like, okay, I'd go find out who that is. Um, I don't know anything about St. Gertrude. But if you have something that you need prayed for or mm-hmm. a product that you really like uh, that you want to share with everybody else, mail at toourgathered.com. Mm-hmm. Um, the number two, the letter R, gathered.com. Amen. That's great. All right. So speaking of stuff to pray for, can I uh, throw out a suggestion, an intention? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a gentleman that I don't think he's a, he's he's promised to start listening to us. He hasn't listened to us yet. Maybe he will now. Um, but um, he was um, um, he's he's a young uh, young man. He's got seven kids. Um, his father has never been involved in his life, mm-hmm. and his uncle, who I believe was a very strong father figure to him okay. or certainly a role model um his uncle dean has passed away okay and uh if we could uh, hold un- his uncle dean in his and pr- our prayers and his uh, wife and three children and mm-hmm. then of course uh, jason as well who, who lost his uncle 
Be happy to do that. Yeah. Shall we maybe conclude then with a prayer and and lift lift him up? Yeah, let's do it. All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, and Jesus, and Holy Spirit, most blessed Trinity, we pause now, and we thank you for another opportunity to speak about our Catholic faith. We thank you for the many men, women, and children in our tradition that have paid the ultimate price through a martyr's death, and we call upon all the holy martyrs to intercede for us who are still um, on our earthly pilgrimage that we might courageously witness to Jesus. We ask you, Jesus, during this season of Easter um, and with Pentecost Sunday just a few days away that you would gift us with a fuller measure of your Holy Spirit. We also lift up to you uh, Dean and uh, Jason and others who mourn his death. Please, Father, welcome Dean into your home, into heaven, and comfort and strengthen those who are mourning and grieving this day. And I ask that the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Last week Easter, Father, go out and celebrate. Yes, indeed. I will. And uh, actually, I should ask you guys to pray for me, too. I'm going to be... preaching a retreat this weekend in Nebraska uh, from Thursday the uh, 20th till Sunday the 24th. And then I'll actually be on my own uh, personal eight-day retreat um, from Sunday until the following Sunday, May 30th. So if, if people can keep me in prayer and also keep the men that will be with me this weekend in prayer, I would greatly appreciate it. So. We might be without you for a couple weeks. Yeah, that's true. And so you'll be hearing maybe another uh, another voice with Jim in the coming weeks, but uh, <laughs> there'll be great podcasts regardless. Maybe even better. So tune in. Oh, that's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> All right, Father. Thank right, you very Jim. much. Good. Have a great week. Have a great uh, retreat. And uh, uh, if I don't speak to you before your personal retreat, I hope that goes uh, wonderful. Thank you much, Jim. God bless you. Take, take care, folks. God bless. Bye-bye.